1: Here we go. This is The Skip Bayless Show. On this episode of the podcast, I'll be reading and responding to your questions. If you'd like to have a question featured, remember to tweet at Skip Bayless Show on Twitter or leave your question with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Feel free to ask me whatever you want about what goes on behind the scenes at Undisputed, my personal life, or anything in the world of sports. My answers will always be candid, be honest, and be unfiltered. Thanks for listening to The Skip Bayless Show. Enjoy the episode. Let's go to Hunter from San Antonio, who asks, what do you believe is the biggest robbery in sports history? Great question. Glad you asked. I was there that night in the press box in Foxborough when the tuck rule happened and Brady and the Patriots greatly benefited from a blown call. It was outrageously wrong. I was covering the Raiders at that point, and they got robbed, and you can make a case. Obviously, that was all time, but hard to have sympathy for it because eh, if it had gone the right way and the Raiders had won, Brady was still gonna win six or seven or eight Super Bowls anyway. I'm a cowboy fan. I'm sorry, the greatest robbery ever happened on January the 11th of 2015 on the frozen tundra at Lambeau Field. Late in the game, 4.42 left, fourth and two, The Green Bay 32. Tony Romo threw as clutch a pass as he ever threw for my Cowboys to my guy, Dez Bryant, who caught it. He caught it. Dez caught it. And he ran two strides with it. And he put the ball in his left hand because he's left handed and he slammed it on the goal line the way running backs slam it on the goal line. The referee closest to that, (coughs) excuse me, play. Raised his arms. Touchdown. Mm. And I celebrated. Because my Cowboys were about to win the game. My Cowboys had won a game on October 12th that year at Seattle, 30 to 23, and they were about to go back to Seattle for the NFC Championship game, and I believe they would have beaten those Seahawks. I doubt they would have beaten Brady in the Super Bowl, but just to get there for the first time since the 95 season, ah, it would have made my life if Tony Romo, made Jerry's life if Tony Romo had gotten to a Super Bowl. But guess who challenged? My current coach, Mike McCarthy, as in drop the Mike McCarthy, as in stay out of the way, Mike McCarthy, as in I have no idea how to manage a game, McCarthy. As in, I'm overwhelmed, McCarthy. He challenged and he won. Mike McCarthy's challenge took away. Des caught it. And Green Bay survived 26 to 21. And that, my friends, is the greatest. Robbery in sports history times a hundred times a hundred. I'll go to a hundred. Thank you. It is now time for a flashback. I'm about to take you back to my three favorite games that I ever covered, even though they had heartbreak involved, but I'm going to heart back. First, to a game I covered at Old Texas Stadium in 1980. It was Bill Walsh and Young Joe, Montana, and the 49ers at Cowboys. It was Cowboys 59 to 14. The 49ers were a joke. The next year, 1981, fairly early in the year, it was October 11th, Cowboys at San Francisco, my first visit to Candlestick Park. I rode the media bus, which was the third bus in the procession, two team buses, media bus with some of the officials and TechShram, the GM, on it. And the bus drivers decided to take a circuitous route through the back streets of South San Francisco to Old Candlestick. And it was the Himalayas, man. I'm not exaggerating how steep these hills were. And would you believe all three buses got stuck on a hill? Would not budge, would not go forward. Players had to get out and push the buses up to the top of the the crest of the hill to get them over the top, pushed our bus over the top of the hill. I look back on it, it had to be an omen. It had to be a sign of things to come. Because that day, something impossible happened at Candlestick Park. Joe Montana and Bill Walsh and the 49ers beat the Dallas Cowboys I covered 45 to 14. You wanna talk about changing the guard, sign of things to come, which led us back to Candlestick Park that January, the 10th of January, now 1982, Many of you Cowboy fans know it as the catch game. Wound up 28-27, to 27 49ers. I got to know Bill Walsh later, became a close friend of mine. I think he's the greatest coach ever, greatest personnel director coach ever. Invented the West Coast offense, created Joe Montana, stole him in the third round, and The number he did on the Cowboys that day in the catch game was something to behold. Dynasties shifted in a seismic way. It it felt earthquakey to me in San Francisco. Near the end of the game, as you know, Joe Montana on a third and four from the six yard line, rolled right, chased by Two Tall Jones and D.D. Lewis. And he never admitted this, but he hinted at, he was just trying to throw it away. Dwight Clark was about 6'3", being covered by Everson Walls, who became a close friend of mine, undrafted out of Grambling, a rookie that year, had set the Cowboy Interception single season record at 11, because everybody threw at Everson Walls. He ran a four six forty but could he sniff the ball out and go get it and catch it? (sighs) He just couldn't jump with Dwight Clark. Dwight went up into the fog that was descending and snatched it out of the fog. San Francisco 28, Dallas 27. But the Cowboys still had some time left. Danny White trying to replace two and live up to Roger Staubach, God bless him he threw a deep pass on a deep post to my guy, Drew Pearson, another friend of mine, and it looked like he was gone. He went 31 yards with the ball, and Eric Wright, young corner, reached out and horse-collared him from behind, snatched him by the nape of the neck from behind. Today, it would be obviously a 15-plus yard penalty. Not in the rule book then. He dragged Drew down on the next play. Danny White got sacked, fumbled, lost it, game over. History changed. Dynasty shifted, and now it was the 49ers' turn. Now let's fast forward to January 17th of 1993. It was Jimmy. It was Jerry. It was Troy. It was Emmett. It was Michael. It was the two young Cowboys at Candlestick, NFC Championship game against Steve Young and Jerry Rice and the 49ers, and those Cowboys were just too young. They weren't ready for this. And they broke through a year ahead of schedule. And late in the game, Troy Aikman hit Alvin Harper on a slant, and there was no horse collar this time. He went 70 yards set up a short TD pass to Kelvin Martin. Cowboys won that game 30 to 20. I flew out on the team plane that day, uh, the day before actually, and then I flew back that night. But what I remember is two things. As I walked to the press box elevator, North Turner, then the coordinator, friend of mine, came up from behind me from the coach's box and slapped me on the back as hard as I've ever been slapped on the back. Knocked the breath out of me from behind because he was so excited about what they had just wrought. And it took me a while to catch my breath. And as I got down on the field, I realized just how creepy Candlestick Park was. It was always foggy It was always wet. It was always cold. The ground was always muddy. And I got my nice shoes as muddy as they've ever been. I ruined a pair of shoes trying to walk around the field across to the locker room. And I had mud on my shoes all the way home that night on that team plane and they were ecstatic. And Jimmy told them, Jimmy Johnson told them the next day that he had watched the tape of Buffalo and that they were going to win the game. He laid all his cards on the table. You will win the Super Bowl because he had watched and he just knew they were better and they were. And as you remember, it was a massacre, which leads to my all-time favorite game, a negative outcome for the Dallas Cowboys, happened two years later, January 15, 1995 at creepy old, muddy old candlestick, Barry Switzer's Cowboys, at 49ers, NFC Championship game, shock of shocks, Cowboys fall behind, 21 to nothing? Troy threw a pick six, Eric Davis went 44 yards with it, big kickoff return, all of a sudden it's 21 to nothing. In the run-oriented Dallas Cowboys, Emmett had a bad hamstring that day, had no choice but to let Troy throw it. He was being covered by his closest friend, Neon Dion, as in Sanders. Greatest individual matchup I ever saw, bar none, happened that day. Troy threw Michael Irvin, 8-88, 26 passes. And he caught 12 for 192 on the greatest cornerback who ever breathed, Neon Dion, 12 for 192 and two touchdowns. 44 yards, 10 yards. And the game was decided because Dion got away with an armbar pass interference, a glaringly obvious pass interference near the end of the game. It was actually six minutes left. Barry Switzer, first year as the Cowboys coach sort of went Norman, Oklahoma, and ran out onto the field to protest. It was a terrible call or non-call. Got a 15-yard penalty, and the Cowboys wind up third and 25, and the game was basically over. That's the one game in my life I would pay again to see, knowing what I know now, if I could know that then. I would pay a large amount of money to watch Michael Irvin whom I can still I still consider him the greatest receiver ever because he was the greatest receiver leader ever a greater leader than Jerry Rice was versus the greatest corner ever. It was special it gives me goosebumps to even talk about it and I hope you enjoyed flashing back about it
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire... million businesses worldwide that use indeed to hire great talent fast and listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash Bayless just go to indeed.com slash Bayless right now and support our show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast indeed.com slash Bayless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed back to your questions
1: What happens during commercial breaks during Undisputed? Great question. I leave the set every single time. Why do I leave the set? Because I don't wanna sit and shoot the breeze with Shannon Sharp, three, four minute commercial break. We are competing. We are going for the throat. Every topic is the equivalent of game seven to me, and I believe to Shannon also. Sometimes we get a little heated. Sometimes it pushes right up to the edge. I need to get away from it. I need to walk around the corner of the set to my little desk setup. up. I take a sip of what's now my black cherry sparkling ice. Used to drink two Diet Mountain Dews per show, but now I just drink one before the show, Black Cherry Sparkling Ice, I take a big sip, in fact, I think I'll take a sip of water right now, Ah, and I let go the previous topic and I lock in on the next topic. I've already crammed, I've already tried to do what I call flash memory and I remind myself that if he goes here, I'm gonna go there. If he tries that, I'm gonna counter with that. And I stay over there until I get the cue in my headset, my, my earpiece, 30 seconds. And then I march back around the corner, and we do battle again. I don't know this for a fact, but I'm pretty sure that Shannon always, or at least often, checks his phone because he wants to know whether Twitter says he won or lost the debate. And frankly, that's fine. That's what you want to do. But I don't need that validation because I know who won the debate. Another question from you. How about Brian, Columbia, Missouri? Have you ever been nervous before undisputed? Yeah, once. The day my wife, Ernestine, came onto our show to promote the book she had written. And I gotta tell you, I love my wife, Ernestine. She is a live wire. She is a ball of fire. And she is a shoot from the lip forced to be reckoned with, and I just couldn't quite imagine what she might spit out on live national TV. We are live on Undisputed every day, every second, nothing to tape, live, 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 6.30 to, I'm sorry, 6.30 Pacific, but it's 9.30 to noon, obviously, Eastern time, 6.30 a.m. Pacific time kickoff for us. So I feared it. I hurt for her because I wasn't sure she could stand up to it and then I wasn't sure what might spill out. And guess what happened? She was way better than I was. I was scared to death. She acted like she'd been doing it her whole life. She took the show over. It was one of the highest rated segments in the history of Undisputed. That's why I love you, Ernestine.